Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. As this is part nine, I believe, if I'm counting right and haven't lost count, uh, who knows? Uh, part nine of our series through Galatians, Jesus plus nothing is everything. As you've maybe heard as I read that passage, this is one of the most personal parts of perhaps all of Paul's letters, um, and certainly it is the most personal part of this letter. The conflict in the Galatian church is becoming clear to us that they are believing these Judaizers, uh, these folks that are preaching Christ plus something else. And so this week, as I was thinking about uh, church conflict, as Paul is experiencing here, not just in one church, but the churches in Galatians of, of Galatia, I was reminded of a story of another church conflict that you might enjoy. Uh, I'll just read it to you. The pastor and the music director in Old First Church did not get along at all. One week, the pastor preached on commitment and how we should dedicate our lives to service. Right after the sermon, the music director led the choir in singing, I shall not be moved. The next Sunday, the pastor preached on giving and how we should gladly give to the work of the Lord. And the music director then led the song, Jesus paid it all. The next Sunday, some of you that know the old hymns maybe appreciate this more than others. The next Sunday, the pastor preached on gossiping and how we should watch our tongues. And the following hymn was, I love to tell the story. The pastor became disgusted over the situation. On the next Sunday, he told the congregation he was considered resigning. And the choir sang, oh, why not tonight? When the preacher resigned the next week, he told the church that Jesus had led him here and Jesus was taking him away. And the choir then sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. You can imagine there was conflict. Yeah, that's humorous conflict that these two are going through. But I would imagine Paul felt a little bit like this. Like, are you kidding me? After all we've done together and all we've been together, he says, I am perplexed about you. Look at verse 20. I wish I could be present with you because I am perplexed. I would imagine like that pastor at Old First Church, he was quite perplexed. Like, what are we missing? What's not clicking? Yes, that was just one person, but Paul has a conflict, not just with one church, but the Bible says all of the churches that were in Galatia that he helped plant. This is Paul's concern in the entire letter that maybe I've labored in vain. All I've poured into these churches, maybe it's coming to nothing. All that I've done in these congregations, maybe it's become nothing. He even asked in this, have I become your enemy? Like, what have I done to you? What's, what's, what's missing? Why are you turning to another gospel that's in fact not a gospel at all? They're beginning to work against them and so and working against his message. And so they're working against themselves. They're straying from the true gospel. And they are singing now in direct opposition to what has just been preached to them. And so Paul is frustrated. He's perplexed by these words. He's fearful. He says right before this passage in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11, I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain, and now I'm perplexed. Like, what has happened? What has caused you to stray from the gospel? And so in this very intimate part of Paul's letter, in Galatians chapter 4, particularly verses 12 through 20, but really all the way to Galatians 4, 12, all the way to verse 31, 
Paul is making a personal plea to these Galatians. He's been very hard-nosed in a good way towards them that you, someone has bewitched you, someone's turned you away, but now in this very personal letter, Paul turns to the Galatians to remind them of where they've been together, to remind them of the personal relationship that they have with one another and how they are turning away. And perhaps you know this, that sometimes dealing with conflict, that's the best way forward, to find common ground, to remember the past and reestablish this is where we have been together. And that's what Paul's going to do. He's going to reestablish that common ground and to remind them, this is where we've been together. Don't you remember where all of this began? So that's the first thing Paul does in the personal plea. We're going to see two big picture things this morning. Let me just give, if you need an outline in your head, we're going to see this personal plea, and then we're going to see uh, big point number two is this prominent illustration. So a permanent, uh, a personal plea, and then we're going to see this prominent illustration that you'll see beginning in verse 21. So that's kind of big picture there. So first thing we're going to look at is this personal plea in verses 12 through 20. The first thing that Paul does in this personal plea, he brings them back to the moment they met. He brings them back to the moment they met. Let's go ahead and read it again. Galatians 4, verses 12 and following. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So he's bringing them back to the beginning. This is how we met. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So the first thing that Paul does is in, pers- in this personal plea is bring them back to the moment they met. And in doing so, he reminds them, Galatian churches, do you remember that what I did for you? I came to you, and do you see what he says? I, be- I, be- I became as I am to become as you are. So Paul says, I came to the Gentiles as one born Jew. I came to the Gentiles, not under the law, to show you the true gospel so that the stumbling block of the gospel was removed. I removed all stumbling blocks so that you could behold Christ. And I pointed you to that. One of the marks of a legalistic works, works righteousness mindset is that it's inflexible and obsessed with details. Such a person wants the converts to dress and act just like us. Paul, on the other hand, is a model of someone who truly comes close to and enters into the lives of the people he is seeking to reach, just as Christ did in his incarnation. Paul not only got to know them personally, but he lived with them. He ate with them. He played with them. He talked and walked with them. He got to know their world and lived in it, even though it was not his world. He entered it as far as he could to answer their questions about their problems, their hopes, their fears, and adapted his life and speech as much as he could without altering the gospel so that they could be changed by the gospel himself. Paul says, that's what I did for you. I became like you in every way that I could so that you could see the gospel. Don't you remember what I did for you, brothers and sisters in Galatia? And now I am perplexed because now I'm being treated as an enemy even though I did as best as I could to lay down my life for you. 
And not only does Paul remind them in this personal plea as he brings them back to the moment that they met, he says, remember what I did for you. And churches in Galatia, in, in Galatia, don't forget what you did for me. Did you see what he said? Here's what you did for me. I, why did I come to you? Because of a bodily ailment. Like I was sick. I was a problem. But that's the way I came to you at first and preached the gospel. My condition was a trial to you, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. You would even have gouged your eyes out for me. I know you would. Do you remember that love we once had for one another? So you start to see the personal, the personal nature of this plea. Here's what I did for you, and, and look how you received me. I find it interesting that this bodily ailment brought Paul to Galatia. I think there's a lot for us to learn there. We don't know what the bodily ailment was. Perhaps it was his eyesight. It seems to be that Paul had a problem with his eyesight. Even in Galatians 6.11, Paul says, See, I'm writing this with my own hand with big letters, perhaps indicating that he had some sort of eye ailment. Some speculate it was because perhaps he came down with malaria or something else. That's all speculation. Perhaps he's saying here you would have gouged your eyes out. Yeah, that's, that could just be an idiom of saying that, yes, I would have done anything for you. Or it could be talking about his actual ailment. We don't know. Either way, whatever this sickness, whatever this bodily ailment was, it brought Paul to Galatia. Look how God gets you to certain places. Do you remember how God in his sovereignty is what he's saying, brought me to you? This could only be the doing of God. It may not be the way you pictured, but it's the way that God planned it. And we can stop there for a moment and think about this for a moment, can't we? How has God brought you to the place that you are? Or how has God brought people among us in different ways? Even if it was because of an ailment, even because it was a problem, either way, it wasn't the way you pictured or planned, but God planned it, and God has brought you there. So he's saying, brothers and sisters, remember what you did for me when, God, you received me as an angel of God in Christ Jesus because you knew that God brought me here. And maybe personally, you can just stop there and think for a moment of where you are in your life. Maybe it's not the way you would have planned it, but man, God's brought me here, maybe to this church. God's brought me among certain people. It's not the way I thought he would do it, but he's done it, and I'm going to give him the glory for it. So we say, look what you did for me. Look how God got me here to this certain place. Look who God has placed among you. Do you see what the Galatians said? They, they received them as an angel of God. They didn't receive him as a problem. They received those who God placed among you. So so how do we receive? Not only where has God placed you, but how do you receive those God has placed among you? How do you receive those who God has placed in your path? Whether it's a neighbor or a family member or work associate, whatever it might be, think about that for a moment. Maybe it was because of ailment, maybe because it was brokenness. I don't know why it was, but God placed you. How will you receive them? How will we receive people who come into this church? And Paul's saying, church in Galatia, you did well. Do you remember that when I met you? I wasn't planning it, but God did. He brought me there and you received me. And not only that, you loved me sacrificially. You would have gouged your eyes out for me if you could. What glory, Paul is saying. Do you hear the personal nature of this? Do you remember that? And maybe that's a call for us. Do you remember how God brought you to Riverside? Do you remember how God brought you to Christ? Do you remember that? Do you remember that moment you first met? 
Do you remember how you used to receive people as they were angels of God, that God brought them here for a purpose and you saw the divine working of bringing people in our midst and bringing you to people and you gloried in that. Do you remember church in Galatia? Do you remember when you loved people sacrificially and you loved me sacrificially, even when it wasn't convenient, you received, you would have gouged your eyes out, you gave maybe rides or money or resources or meals or whatever it might be. Do you remember that? And that was glorious. Now I'm perplexed because all of that was gospel. I came to you to preach the gospel. You received me as Christ. We were showing each other gospel. We were beholding Christ. Christ was being formed in us as we sacrifice because Christ is formed in us as we experience suffering. That was happening. You love me sacrificially. So can, you can imagine, he's not just pulling on their heartstrings. Remember when the gospel was at work among you, not just in word and deed. Remember that moment when we first met. So Paul brings them back to the moment they met. Paul brings them to the current moment. So he brings them, so where are we now? That's where we were. That's what we were experiencing. Do you remember that freedom and that glory? Verse 15. So in this personal plea, he brings them back to the moment they met past. Now he brings them up to the present. Seen together in verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? What has become of your joy? What's become of your satisfaction? He's told them you fall back into slavery and now you're living. What what happened to that? Why'd you give up that freedom? Why'd you give up that joy? Why'd you give up that gospel culture? What's become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Here's what they've become. Have I then, so this is the present, have I then, verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I told you the truth and now I'm your your enemy? That's the current. Now we are enemies for some reason. They make much of you, that is the Judaizers. They're making much of you but for no good purpose. They're taking advantage of you. They want to shut you out. They want to form this clique and this exclusive club so that you might feel left out, so that you'll go to them. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of, made, I stumbled on this twice now this morning, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not only when I'm present with you, my little children. So presently they've lost their satisfaction. So Paul's pouring out his heart to his little children here. Do you hear it? The ones that that I love so dearly. He's pouring his heart. You've lost your satisfaction and in doing so have made me an enemy and in doing so have rejected me because you have rejected the gospel now. Paul is so tied up in his ministry that all he can see is the gospel. All he can see is Christ and to reject the gospel is to reject him. What glory would that be if our lives were so tied up in the gospel that if someone rejected you, it's because they're rejecting the gospel, not so much they're rejecting you, but in rejecting the gospel, they reject you. Their lives are so tied up in the gospel. So much so that the gospel perhaps has become mundane or boring to them, so they want something else. They want Christ plus something else. They exchange the truth for a lie. Now, why would they do something like this? Some of it's because 
the Judaizers are taking advantage of them. The language that Paul uses here is this idea of flattery. One writer writes, Paul draws on the language of courtship, this making much of, dating, and romance to describe the scene. The agitators, the Judaizers, are are flirting with the Galatians. Give them all these warm fuzzies. Yet they're keeping their, the Galatians are, their distance, I mean the Judaizers are keeping their distance as well. As every junior high boy understands, mixed messages from a significant other can be terribly vexing. The agitators are being teases, if you will, and their goal is to manipulate as a self-centered flirt. They simply want the Galatians in their back pockets. That's what Paul's after here. Now, now, now why would they believe this? Why, why would they go after this? One, because I think in our hearts we desire to save ourselves. And so any idea of having a man-made religion being saved by works of something that you do, that, that kind of piques our interest a little bit because we want to do something to earn our salvation. And so that's the, the nature of our heart. But I, but I think at the core of it, we'll get to this illustration in a minute, but go ahead and fast forward to verse 29. We'll, we'll explain some of this more briefly in a minute. But just at the time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now for you. What Paul's doing in this illustration is essentially saying there's two types of people, people who are slaves and people who are free, people who are doers of the flesh, people who are saved by the promised, saved by grace. And Paul is saying that those who are seeking to be saved by works are persecuting you now, just as Ishmael went after Isaac back then. And so without getting confused with all that, the, the, the biblical story there, we'll, we'll explain that more in a minute. Paul is saying in verse 29, what's going on now is you're being persecuted. And this persecution, follow along with me here, how relevant this is today, is leading you to believe some really bad theology. In order for you to not suffer, even though suffering will conform us to the image of Christ and Christ will be formed in you, in order for you to avoid suffering and persecution, even with a religious bent, these aren't like atheists coming after you. These are religious people coming after you, trying to put you in their back pocket to have something over you in order to manipulate you like a junior high flirt. This is what they're doing. They're shutting you out, you heard Paul say. So you feel left out, so you want to fit in. I realize if I want to fit in, I have to believe what they're preaching or I'm going to be on the outside. And Paul has already gone. Paul's saying, I want to be with you and remind you of what we've been through together. But Paul is gone. This new, these new folks have come in. I don't want to reject, be rejected by the people that are right in front of me. I assume be rejected by the one who's already left. And isn't that the core of bad theology today. We start believing things that are not in accordance with Scripture, whether it pertains to whatever, what works-based salvation, whether it pertains to sexuality, whether it pertains to whatever. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to be left out, and those people are making me feel left out. And so now I'm going to conform my theology to fit the culture of those who are right before my face 
so that I might fit in. And now you're believing bad theology. Why? Because you sat out to form some sort of bad theology, bad truth about God? No. That was birth out of your desire to not be like Christ and go through suffering as he promised you would. And out of convenience, bad theology takes hold. So it is today, isn't it? We're fearful of being shut out. We're fearful of being looked down upon. So we don't set out for bad theology, but it sure can creep in the church when we don't want the culture to shut us out. Now we want to be like Paul. We want to be like them in every way. We want to take Christ to the world, yes. We don't want to shut ourselves out like in some sort of monastery. We want to be light in darkness. But what is light if we become just like the darkness? A little bit of a soapbox there, but that's what's going on here. Bad theology is, at the core of it, is coming out of their avoiding a situation that they don't want to be a part of. So they just believe whatever they will in order to fit in. So Paul is reminded, this is what's become of you. You've been swayed, you've been flirted with, and you've believed these lies all because you don't want to suffer, as he says in verse 29. That's what you're trying to avoid. And these people who you think are influential are just exploiting you. And they're putting you in a terrible position. Here's another truth of where they are. Don't mistake influence for credibility. We need to remember that in a Christian world. In a society that sees influence as credibility, influence does not equal credibility. Paul is saying, I realize they're influencing you right now, and they have a strong influence in Galatia. And their brand is really strong. But don't be played. Don't be played. For a gospel-energized ministry does not need to have fans who are emotionally dependent upon the leaders. Don't be dependent upon me. I want to be there. But what is my desire for you? To take advantage of you? For you to be emotionally dependent upon me? As even some churches today can be emotionally dependent upon the person up front. That's what Paul's after. Look at verse 19. So he's reminding them where they were, how they first met. He's reminding them where they are now. And now he's reminding them of where he wants them to be. My little children, if you're the personal, I love you so much. For whom I'm in anguish of childbirth. Why? So that you might praise me again and believe my brand? Exalt Paul? No, no, no. That's not how we started and that's not where we're going. I'm not jealous of these guys. I'm jealous of Christ and his glory. I know that the only way that you will be changed, the only way you'll be formed, the only way you'll be transformed is by beholding Christ. So brothers and sisters, I'm in anguish, not because you're now going to another church. Because I want Christ formed in you. I want you to endure this suffering so that Christ might be more evident in your life. And in doing so, you might point other people to Christ. And in doing so, Christ might be glorified. And in doing so, this suffering will prepare you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is what I'm after, my little children, for Christ to be formed in you. That's a sign 
of a good leader. Not influence, but they want Christ formed in me. It's a sign of good church. This is where we are. You received me as an God sent you to us. And so we're going to work together for, for the gospel. God, whatever reason God sent you here, he has you here. And we receive one another as Christ Jesus. We sacrifice for one another and we see that Christ is formed in one another. That's what we're after. That's why we gather this morning in Sunday school in small groups. I, I saw it just yesterday as we did a memorial. This is not in the notes, but I'm just having a flashback here. When we had a memorial for a man, George Werner, who passed away on Easter Sunday, was a church member here, whose Sunday school class loved him. And how much that meant to his family because whatever reason brought George here, I'm really not sure, but Christ brought him here, so we received him as Christ. We tried to love him sacrificially as best as we could. We didn't feel like it was much, but the family sure felt like it was much. And I don't know why he was here, but he was here, so we loved him, and hopefully Christ was formed in him as he once gathered with us. That's why we're here. We're not jealous of others. We're trying to promote a brand. We're trying to exalt Christ. And so Paul ends, I told you we wouldn't spend a whole lot of time in this illustration, though there's probably a lot we can untangle here. That's what Paul's after. And so then he gives an illustration. Here's what I mean. He reminds us of the story of the Old Testament of Hagar and Sarah. And here's where Paul is going to conclude us today. He says, tell me, who you desire to be under the law? Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children of slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Maybe you're thinking like, I got the first part. What in the world is he talking about here? here, here here's the illustration Paul is giving. He's not saying, by the way, that all of the Old Testament is allegory. We would get into an absolute mess if we did that. If we started to try to get the hidden meaning and all of the Old Testament stories and just saw it as allegorical and not historical. Paul is not saying that Hagar and, and Sarah and the birth of these two sons, he's not saying this was all allegorical and this is a story that we can kind of make up and kind of put some pieces together. That was a true historical story. The Bible is historical. It really happened, okay? It's not all allegory. Paul's not saying that. But he's using this historical moment in their history to say, to make this point. It'd be similar to using a story from like World War II and to make a point. So, so he's making a point. You understand what I'm saying? He's not saying the Bible is allegorical, but let's take this story allegorically to make this point of what he's saying. And what Paul is breaking down here is there, there's two ways. We're going to simplify it. There's two ways, and there's only two ways. There's not Paul plus the Judaizers plus unbelievers. It's either the gospel or it's nothing. It's either Christ or it's everything. It's either the promise or it's the flesh. It's either slave or free. Those are the only two ways. Judaizers are not another brand, right? It's not another denomination. They're preaching a false gospel. And there's only two ways, either the gospel or no gospel. 
Ishmael, he's saying, was the child of human effort. This is when they could not have a child, so they took it into their own hands. So there's some people that take salvation into their own hands. They try to earn their salvation and doing it on their own power, own strength, own whatever. That's one way. That's the way the Judaizers are leaving you, leading you. And these Ishmaelites type people are persecuting you and telling you that you need to become like them, but you are the child of the promise. You are the one who is truly free, and the ones born of the slave are trying to capture you who are free. He's saying, don't you see, this is what's going on. Isaac was a child of promise. You're slave or free. You either saved by flesh or by the promise, by grace, by works or grace. There's no other way. You're either part of Mount Sinai in Arabia or the true and better Zion. You're either part of the Jerusalem, listen to what he says, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, verse 25, maybe underline that present Jerusalem, the, the, here, the fleshly here and now, or, but the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem is free. Where's your citizenship? On earth or in heaven? That's what he's after. Roman, I mean, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us all about this. Where is your citizenship is what he's after. If you're following these Judaizers, he's giving this example, you are returning to slavery, slavery. even though it's religious, you're living for the kingdom of this world. And this kingdom of this world, even religious kingdoms of this world, will crumble. The only kingdom that will stand is the kingdom of promise, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of promise. That is the only kingdom that will not shake down in the end. So why are you going after these other things? Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, he says. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those who are the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, are like Isaac, are children of the promise. What is he saying here? First, he says, if we go for human effort, we get human results, which is slavery. But now he's saying, rejoice, O barren ones. Don't you know the gospel is for the desperate? The gospel is for the barren. The gospel is for the fruitless. The gospel is for the the dead. Just as Sarah was barren and past childbearing years, her womb was good as dead, but God brought life to that womb and brought promise to the womb. So God is saying to us this morning that don't you remember how desperate you are for the worth for the gospel? How desperately you lived the gospel? How desperately you loved the gospel and gospel preaching people? How desperately you sought to see for Christ to be formed in the congregation. Don't you remember, and don't you remember that you're children of the promise. You were desperate. You were dead in your sins, but God gave life to you. Don't you remember that gospel that brought something out of nothing, that the gospel didn't make you better. The gospel made you alive. Don't you remember that? What will it take, Paul is saying? I'll close with this question and ask the question to us. So what? So what's the big what? What will it take to get you back to that point of this gospel desperation? What will it take to, to get back, you back to the point that if we don't have Christ, we don't have anything, and if we have Christ, we have everything? I was reminded in a, in a sermon that I, I listened to in person this week. So one man was sharing if anything, 
I'm quoting someone else now. If, if anything that should have happened over the last two years, it should have made us desperate, but all of it, for some of us, may, I hope not all of us, all the events of the past two years have really made us angry. Revival will not come when we're angry. It'll come when we're desperate. Freedom will not come when we're angry. It'll come when we are desperate for the gospel to reinvigorate our own hearts. Perhaps you've never trusted in the gospel this morning. There's good news for you. If you are barren, if you realize that you have nothing, you in fact have nothing but Christ freely gives himself to you. For all who believe, all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. Receive it by grace, not by works, not by religion, but by, by grace. So I work through this passage. I'll end by saying this. I'm praying that we'll take to heart this personal message of Paul. And say, God, get us to that point. Maybe, we're, maybe you're at that point. God, fan in the flame brighter that point that we will see, the, see Christ formed in us. No matter what persecution may come, that Christ would be formed in us we might once again see the work of Christ, see our lives as being led by Christ, bringing us to places, bringing people to us, receiving one another as Christ, sacrificially loving one another, and all that to see Christ formed in us. Let's be about that one thing.